Nice to be with you and to see you today. This is one of my favorite things to talk about in all the world. We don't have enough time. Already I can tell you we don't have enough time. This is one of the favorite things I love to talk about. The work of the Church of the Nazarene is, is done so well, so efficiently. It's one of the very best things we do. In the church that I pastored in Twin Falls, Idaho, of, of our congregation, about 15% of us originally were from the Church of the Nazarene, and the rest of us, I would say, were something else. And, uh, and the way that I made us a, a understand what it meant to be this connectional part of the Church of the Nazarene was by describing the work that we do around the world. In 159 areas of the world, we have mission work. Many of those places are already now. Uh, no missionaries are there because they are, they are works that are totally national works. Uh, Bangladesh, where we have ordained, we're ordaining pastors faster than we can. We can possibly uh, do, almost faster than we can do so. I said recently 80 pastors in Bangladesh were ordained last year by our general superintendents, and somebody said, you're two years late. It was 150 the following year. We're planting churches weekly in Bangladesh. I, I could talk to you about, about Bangladesh all morning, uh, just as one example where the church is exploding on the Horn of Africa, where the church shouldn't be exploding, and it's exploding. Just opened, the, opened South Sudan to the church, and, and the church is mushrooming. And so part of the work of the church around the world is, is uh, the, the, the connectional piece we have in the Church of the Nazarene that I love absolutely dearly. Now that, now that I've given you the commercial message, let me give you the message. In uh, Matthew chapters six, uh, 5, 6, and 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, the words of Jesus. Jesus says this, uh, in, in chapter 6, verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, and the government taxes. I just threw that in. But store up for yourselves treasures in heavens, where, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If the eye is good, the whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be filled with darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he hates the one and loves the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Jesus seems to get confused in his discussion of stewardship. He's talking about stewardship. He says, you can't serve both God and money. We go, we get that. And right in the middle of that, he says, if your eyes are bad, you'll be blind. And if you're blind, your darkness will be great. What is the deal with Jesus talking about eyesight right in the middle of his discussion about you can't serve both God and money? It just seems like an odd little parenthesis that he puts in there about being blind. Well, the truth is, greed is blinding. I've been a pastor for, for, since I was 21 years old. I've never, ever had anybody come into my office and say, Pastor Jerry, I have a problem with greed. Ever. Never. I've had people come in and say, I've got a problem with lying. I've got a problem with theft. I've got a problem with pornography. I've got a problem with all manner of things, but I've never yet met a greedy person. I've never met one person who said, I have a difficult problem with greed because greed is a blinding disease. I did it on the way to church. 
twice. I blinded my, I blinded my eyes to someone who proclaimed themselves in need. Almost at every street corner, there are flyers. You know what a flyer is? A person with a cardboard sign that says, this is my need. And when I stop at the stop sign and I look over at a person and they have their sign that says, this is my need, almost always I blind myself to that need. I don't look at them. I don't make contact, eye contact with them. I don't ask them their name. I don't, I don't want to talk to them. And so I blind myself. I put blinders on. I don't see them. Now, why do I do that? Having been a pastor of a church along the freeway, I have become a bit jaded over time. I've been told every story you can possibly imagine. People always traveling near Twin Falls, Idaho, people always traveling from from Miami, Florida to Seattle or back again. They were going. Similar stories. I've heard all kinds of stories. Almost all of them were not true. So my heart became a little calloused a bit jaded. I blind myself to people who have need so that they don't take my resources. I'm protecting my resources by blinding myself to their need. We do it all the time, and I can't help everybody. Uh, Daily, as I go to my office in Olympia, I drive past people with cardboard signs saying they have a need. I have blinded myself to them almost, almost exclusively. I don't stop and give them money. I have discovered usually it's not a good investment. But I do volunteer regularly at the Union Gospel Mission downtown. I don't blind myself to the people who come there for assistance. So you make choices about what you do in life with what you have and the resources that you use. But Jesus says that when you see somebody's need and you are unwilling to look at it so that you can protect your resources, what you're doing is you're blinding yourself to their need. And greed is a blinding disease. More than half of the world lives on less than $2 a day. And we have a a world that's in need. And you can't help everybody. But you have to decide where you will help someone. Just because you don't trust the person with the cardboard sign on the corner to do good things with the resources that you give them doesn't mean that that gives you an excuse to say, I'm blinded to everyone's need. He came into our our foyer at 7 o'clock on Sunday night. I had already preached twice that morning and and Sunday night, and I was tired. and, And he came in about the time people usually showed up, about the time church was over, and he introduced himself. His name was Canyon. He had one crutch. And I wondered if he really had a hurt foot. I had just become that jaded. And, uh, and he said to me, oh, church started at 6. I'm sorry, I'm late. And I said, yeah, right. And I said, I said to him kindly, but just matter-of-factly, how can I help you? And he said, I am traveling and I'm out of gas. I, could, I can tell you as the pastor of a church along the freeway, I had heard that story over and over and over again. And I've learned that there are people that just plan their vacation on how close they can get to the next church to fill them with gas. And I have been told every story imaginable. And I said, where are you headed? He said, I'm headed home to Colorado. And I said, big, tall cowboy with, with boots and a crutch. 
And I said, uh, what can I do for you? He said, I'd like to work. Is there some work I could do around the church? And I said, yeah, right. You're going to do work around the church at 7 o'clock on a Sunday night with a hurt foot? I don't think so. And finally, I said, what do you need? He said, I'm just trying to get enough gas to get home. And he said, I'm almost out of gas. And so I said, in my mind, I said, I said, I said to him, meet me at the gas station. And really, honestly, my heart was, I'll go get this guy a tank of gas and send him down the road, and I can go home. I'm tired. Went over to the gas station in the old red pickup truck. Colorado plates, that was a plus. Sometimes people tell me they were from California and they had Twin Falls plates. So I began to fill up his tank with gas and said to him, Are you hungry? And he said, No, not really, I'm okay. He said, I have a loaf of bread and a jar of peanut butter. And I, he had a couple of dogs in the back. And I said, have your dogs eaten? He said, they shouldn't eat. He said, we're traveling. They should eat just a little bit. I've got a bag of dog food and a loaf of bread and a jar of peanut butter. I'll be fine until I get home. And I thought, that was an interesting answer. And so I said, what do you do, Canyon? And he said, I'm, well, I work construction. He said, in fact, I'm a cabinet maker. Would you like to see some of my work? And I said to him, well, that would be different, okay. And he reached behind this seat in his old red truck, and he opened up his, uh, his book, and there were amazing pictures of work he had done in, on cabins in Colorado where he had taken trees and turned them into banister rails and, and some amazing work. And I said, so what are you doing? He said, well, he said, when the recession hit, nobody's working on their cabins anymore. And so he said, I loaded up my tools, and I took my trailer, and I went to Las Vegas. I heard there was work there. I had a job. And he said, when I got there, they said, nope, sorry, we closed. And he said, so then I went, I went to Reno, and he said, I, I left my tools in a shed there, in a, in a storage there. And he said, I, I then I worked on a ranch for a while, and I got hurt. He said, I ended up in the hospital in Boise. And he said, I called my wife, and she said, Canyon, why don't you just come home? And I said, Canyon, why don't we get a sandwich? And so we went in, and we sat down, and he said, I said, Canyon, when did you talk to your wife last? He said, oh, it's been a few days ago. He said, I ran out of money. She said, come home. I don't know what I'm going to do when I get home. I'm just trying to go home. And I said, would you like to call your wife? He said, oh, I'd love to call my wife. I handed him my cell phone. He called Mrs. Canyon. And I, the phone was, yeah, babe, yeah, babe, I'll get to Salt Lake. If I can get one more tank of gas in Salt Lake, I can get home. I'll be careful. I'll sleep in the truck. It won't be a problem. I'm fine. Yeah, my foot's healing up. I'm okay. I'll just be home. It should be tomorrow, day after tomorrow. If I can get some help in Salt Lake, I'll get home. And then he said, would you like to talk to Mrs. Canyon? I can't remember her name. I said, no, I'm good. No, she'd like to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for helping my husband. We've had some bad luck. He's just trying to get home. And I started to cry because my heart had become so jaded. I'd been lied to too many times. What happens is greed, to protect what we have, puts blinders on us. So we're blinded to the need of someone else 
so we don't have to participate. I uh, did something I've never done. I said, can you follow me to Key Bank? It's on the corner. And I went and got out of my bank account. The gas I gave him was money that belonged to the church. I wasn't giving him my money. I was giving him our money. I went to the bank, and I got enough money for him to have something to eat and enough gas to get all the way home because I wasn't blind to his need anymore. The truth is that if I, as long as I am blinded to a need, I can protect what I have. It's when I open my heart up and allow myself to be first sympathetic. I can sympathize with your situation. That's the, the, the a dangerous door. That's the door that opens up the door to compassion. And when, when I begin to feel compassionate toward your situation, then all my stuff is at risk. We had a, a family in um, Nampa, Idaho years ago. And they had a dream of building a horse ranch. That's what they wanted to do. Um, he worked for Town & Country Electric, one of the larger uh, electrical companies in the Treasure Valley. Made a great living. He, his brother, and his father, they made a great living at Town & Country Electric. And their dream was to own a horse ranch. And they had picked out the property. They hadn't begun to build it yet. But they had the site where it was going to be. They certainly had the resources to do it. But they lived close to Northwest Nazarene University, and they began to say, but there's missionaries, kids, who come away from their family to attend Northwest Nazarene University, and sometimes they don't have anywhere to go at Thanksgiving, and they don't have anywhere to go at Christmas. Why don't we just open our home to the need that they have for some place to belong? So that's what they did. They began to have students from Northwest Nazarene University who'd come to attend the university, whose parents were overseas. They began to kind of be surrogate family for these people. So these young people would come, and they'd sit around the table, and they kind of fell in love with those young kids. So someone out of their interest in these young kids said, the year before you build your horse ranch, why don't you just take a year and go to Papua New Guinea and be the house parents at the Nazarene Youth Hostel at Ukarumpa, Wycliffe Bible Translator Station, where all the missionaries' kids, before the internet made it possible to study at home, came and went to school. This, we had, we, the Nazarene Church owned a house with about 13, 14 high school, junior high, high school kids that lived there, and they went to be the volunteer parents for one year at the Nazarene Youth Hostel in Ukarumpa for a year. Then they'd go home and they would build their horse ranch. They just never went home. They fell in love first with the Nazarene missionary kids at, at Ukarumpa. Then they fell in love with the people of Papua New Guinea. And Vernon Natalie Ward, uh, our, the people who gave up their horse ranch to go to Papua New Guinea for a year. And then what they did was they stayed for another year. And then they moved their family to Doosan. Their the, the wards have five children. They moved them to Doosan, which is on the top of a hill. The only way you can get to the, to, the, to the village where they lived was by Mission Aviation Fellowship. And they lived at Doosan for years until Vern became the, the uh, leader of our entire work in Papua New Guinea. Vern Ward is a giant of a man. He's six 
five, I think. And in Papua New Guinea, he is a giant of a man. I've not heard this story from Vern specifically, but I've heard from others that Vern actually stepped in the middle of two tribes at war and said, stop it. That he was such a strong person at our hospital in Kujup, which you know something about, that uh, he, could, he could literally bring peace to people who were in the midst of difficulty and trouble. Vern led our work in Papua New Guinea for, for years until the Church of the Nazarene asked him to be responsible for all of the mission work in Southeast Asia. And he moved to Singapore. He and Natalie, not too long ago, moved to Singapore as our regional directors for all of Southeast Asia, all the work in China, all of the work in, in uh, Vietnam, which is opening to us, and, and all of the uh, islands that are part of the Philippines. Vern was responsible for coordinating all of that mission work. In the meantime, he earned a doctorate degree in, in uh, ministry. Vern uh, was going to have a horse ranch. That was Natalie's dream. He laid it all down, and God incrementally used him a little bit at a time over and over and over again until today. Vern Ward leads the work of the Church of the Nazarene in the entire world. When Louis Bussell retired a couple of years ago, the church chose Vern to lead us. I would follow Vern Ward anywhere. I would follow him anywhere because of what he has done personally to lay his own life, his own dream, his own hopes and wishes down to lead us. Vern Ward is a first quality missionary. He didn't do it on purpose. His call came gradually, but he is one fine leader, and so is Natalie. Their daughter, um, Sarah is the children's pastor's wife at, uh, oh, sorry, go back to the other slide, I tricked you. Um, their, their daughter, Sarah, is the children's pastor's wife at Nampa First Church, who just went to China to pick up a child to add to her family of five. There's just something in, the heart, in our hearts that when, when our eyes get open to the needs of others and the place that God would call us, that our resources become in danger. Our resources become in danger because greed is a blinding disease, and when I want to protect what I've got, I can't be exposed to the needs of others. Sometimes I turn a blind eye to some people's appeal, but God help us if we turn a blind eye to all the things that are presented to us as an opportunity to help. God help us. Greed is not only a blinding disease, it's a, it's a, it's a cancer in our soul and spirit. The next slide is uh, Davida and Tanya Cantarella. Tanya is in the middle. Actually, the person on the, to her right is Carla Sundberg, who opened our mission work in Moscow, Russia. In 1991, I went to Moscow with a group of NYI leaders, Nazarene Youth International. We, we wanted to buy a youth camp. We wanted to buy a youth campground so we could begin our work in Moscow or in Russia with a youth camping program. And so we went over to buy a youth camp program. There were all kinds of vacant youth camps. That had been the communist uh, structure for, for indoctrinating kids was to send them off in the summertime for youth camp. There were pioneer youth camps all around Moscow, all of them in deterioration, not being used anymore. And we thought we could buy one of these camps and we could develop youth camping. So we, I went over there with about, oh, 15 Nazarene youth leaders. 
to try to buy a youth camp. Now, we found several of them that were for sale that we could buy right there on the spot very inexpensively. The title was just a little shaky. You know, it had been government-owned, and there were lots of people willing to sell them, but no guarantee that once we bought it, we would actually own it. But while we were there, we met a 19-year-old young woman who was our waitress in a restaurant that had been opened specifically to feed us our, our, our daily meals. She spoke English and Russian. She had been preparing for, uh, to be an archer. She, was, she wanted to be an Olympic archer, and her institute, when the, when the Soviet Union fell apart, her institute closed. But she spoke English. And so they brought, they brought Tanya to be our waitress. And she came and she was a waitress for us at 19. I remember she was tough. She uh, wore big black boots and white t-shirts and she was tough. But she spoke English and we all fell in love with her. And when we left, we, left all, we pulled all the rubles out of our pockets and we piled them on the table and left them for Tanya for a tip. We did not realize that we had given her a year's worth of wages. She loved the Church of the Nazarene. <laughs> and when we left, we all said bye to Tanya. We said bye, Tanya. I saw Tanya when I left standing with those people that were opening up our mission work in, uh, in Moscow. She was standing beside them. It was a year later. I was a youth pastor from Nampa First Church, and I went back to Moscow, and I took my youth group. And we did a thing called American Sports Games. We uh, took all the kids who lived in the area. We, we used the uh, stadium that had been created for the uh, equestrian events of the 1980 Olympics. And it had become in, in total disrepair. But out in the middle, there was a big flat spot. And we played American sports games. We told them we were playing baseball. We were really playing softball. We took, we took mitts, right-handed mitts, left-handed mitts, right and left-handed bats. We had the whole thing. <laughs> and bases, we were ready to play. And they loved to play. They'd never seen this game other than on television or heard about it. They'd never played this game. And they loved to play the game. And they played it horribly at first. They played soccer with us and didn't play that so horribly. But we played with the kids during the daytime. And in the evening, we, we had a choir practice. We had learned to sing in Russian. Although when we actually sang in Russian, they did not recognize the language we were singing in. <laughs> And at the end, we had a mass choir with the kids who'd played with us all week and the kids who'd come from Nampa First Church. We had a, a mass choir that we all did, and their parents came, and it was the opening of our church in Moscow. And Tanya was there with us. She was our interpreter. She'd been there the year before, and she and a young lady named Luba were our interpreters and tour guides, and neither of them Christian. And, uh, and Tanya just absolutely captured the heart of the youth from Nampa First Church where I was youth pastor. They loved Tanya. In fact, I had to tell one young man, leave her alone. <laughs> Unless you plan to follow through with whatever it is you're, uh, you're, you're thinking here, I think you should step off. And she said to me one day, she said, you are my dad. She didn't have a dad. So we left and came home, and General Assembly happened that year, and I saw Carla the lady, the blonde lady on, the, on, on Tanya's right. And uh, I saw Carla, and I said, what's happened to Tanya? And she said, oh, I don't want to tell you. And I said, oh, tell me what's happened to Tanya. And she said, well, there's an American company that's opening for, for, to do business with American business people. They've opened a, a, a lounge, restaurant, discotheque downtown, and they're looking for attractive young 
English-speaking Russian girls to be cocktail waitresses. I'm sure with the most moral intention of, you can imagine. And they said, Tanya has gotten a job. She's going to be a cocktail waitress at this, uh, this place that caters to American businessmen that are coming from America to establish business. And I don't know what your heart says, but my heart said, oh, no. Oh, no. No, no. I don't think that's a good thing. And she said, and I said, how much will they pay her? And she said they're going to pay her $200 a month. The year before, a doctor was making eight U.S. dollars a month. They're going to pay her 200 U.S. dollars a month. And I said, Carla, can you use Tanya at our, at our district office? And she said, uh, sure. <laughs> I said, Nampa First Church Youth Group will pay Tanya $200 a month not to work at the discotheque. And I will send it every month. And so we, when I got home, youth group, every, every Sunday night when we had our youth group, I would say, we're passing the offering plate. We're about 10 bucks short. We need the $200 to pay Tanya. For a whole year, we paid Tanya not to work at the discotheque. That year, she worked with Chuck and Carla Sundberg, some of our finest missionaries ever. She worked with them, and she fell in love with Carla. Carla, Carla fell in love with Tanya. And during that year, Tanya received Christ as her Lord and Savior. She found Jesus. Jesus had already found her. That year, Tanya went from our uh, church in Moscow, Russia. She went to uh, Schaffhausen, to our Nazarene European college in Switzerland, and she began to study for ministry. While she was there, she met uh, Davida Cantarella. Davida is Sicilian. Um, and he had come to the university to study. Um, Tanya didn't like Davida. She thought he was rather arrogant. And then she loved Davida, and they married. And this morning, Davida and Tanya Cantarella are our, she is the pastor of our church at Moscow First Church, a thriving church of the Nazarene in the heart of that city of more than 15 million people. Tanya is a a powerful preacher, teacher, pastor at Moscow First Church, and her husband Davida is the district superintendent in the north half of the of the country of Russia. That's pretty great stuff. Next, next picture is them today. This is Davida and Tanya not too long ago in Moscow. Now let me tell you what. If you come to District Assembly, April uh, 6, 7, and 8, starts on a Sunday night at Church for All Nations in Tacoma, David and Tanya Cantarella are going to be our missionary guests uh, this coming year. They'll, they'll be here to share the work that's happening in Russia in the former Soviet Union and the work that they are doing. They are fine, fine, fine Christian people. I would follow Davida and Tanya Cantarella anywhere. God's chosen people. This next lady, her name is, is Jana Geshmova. And I don't even believe this story. So if you don't believe this story, then never mind. Because I don't believe it myself. When I was in Russia, a young man named Sasha, everybody was named Sasha. A young man, because Sasha is Alexander or Alexandria. Sasha, 
A boy named Sasha came to play softball with us, but his aunt said, when they talk, when they play ball, fine, but when they talk, come home. She was an atheist. And she said, come home, don't listen. And, 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 and Sasha did that. He came and played ball with us. And then when we began to talk, he went home. I never met him. Uh, I moved from Nampa First Church in 1994 to Twin Falls, Idaho. When I was in Twin Falls, Idaho, the second year that I was there in, in 95, a woman came and sat on the front row of church, and afterwards I, I didn't recognize her, so I said, hi, you look like you're new today, and she had a heavy Russian accent, and she said, I am, I've just moved here recently. We had a refugee center at the College of Southern Idaho, so we had a population of ethnic Armenian people who had been moving to our community, and she told me she was one of those people. And I said, well, I have this love for Russian people. I've been to Moscow a couple of times, and, and, uh, and so I noticed that you spoke Russian. She said, yes. She came to church for four times. And then on the fourth time, she said to me, you know my nephew. I said, no, I, I don't know your nephew. She said, you know my nephew. You met him in Moscow. I said, oh, oh, Jana, Moscow's a city of 11 million people, and I was there for two weeks. I didn't meet him. And she said, he has the T-shirt you gave him to play American sports games. Really? He was Sasha. She was the atheist aunt. And somewhere in the process of, of, the, of the unfolding of her coming to America, her son Elmar got sick, and she took him to the hospital, and the people at the hospital said, I'm sorry, your, your son will die. And she went outside, and she held Elmar up, and she said, God, if there's a God, God, if there's a God, Please help my son to live. And she said immediately she knew two things. She said immediately she knew there was a God and she knew her son would live. And she said, I can't tell you why or how, but she said, I started to go to church in Moscow. And she said, and then I was baptized. And so Jana began to come to our church and she had a heart for not only her family, but the other Russian language people that were coming to our community, our small community of Twin Falls, Idaho. <laughs> she started cleaning the bathrooms at the College of Southern Idaho. She has a degree in electrical engineering. She started to clean the bathrooms, but she was so smart, she became a draftsman for one of our local mechanical engineers. And this morning she is the chief chemist at Amalgamated Sugar in Twin Falls, Idaho. But more than that, Jana Geshmova, Jana, she married, she married Tor when, he came, when she came to America. He's from, from the Netherlands. That's not right. Uh, Sweden or somewhere. He, he, yeah, sure, you bet. That's how he talks. Um, <laughs> Jana, Jana Dragut is the pastor of a Russian language service that meets in Twin Falls, Idaho every Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. And they will have 30, 40 people in church. And, and when it's Christmas or Easter, they'll pack the place out with some of the most amazing food you've ever seen. And her, son, her, her nephew, um, Sasha, the last Sunday I was there, he finally came forward when I served communion. Had opportunity to baptize her niece. That's an amazing story. I hardly even believe it. But here's the connection. When she doesn't know what to teach or preach because she's not trained to teach or preach, and whenever I listen to her teach and preach, I know she's doing well, but I have no idea what she's saying. She has, through the internet, able to connect with Tanya, 
who has graduated from Nazarene Theological Seminary and serves on the board for the internationalization of the Church of the Nazarene, and she shares notes with her. I love this. I love this more than I can tell you. I love this more than I like to eat, and I love to eat. I love the way I see God at work all over our world. And I refuse to be blinded to the need. One of the very best investments you'll ever make in all your life is an investment in the world mission program of the Church of the Nazarene. They're careful with it. We don't require our missionaries to come and beg you every once in a while for money. We take care of that collectively. We let them be missionaries. We qualify them. We hold them accountable, but we don't make them have to spend half their life sending things out trying to gain money because we take care of that as a church. We do it in a unified way. Every Sunday, 5.5%, at least, of everything that comes in your offering plate belongs to Vern Ward to use for the expansion of the church around the world. We call that the World Evangelism Fund, and it's a great deal. I have had some people say, I, we, we can't give 5.5% of our uh, income to world evangelism. That will not work. Let me speak British. Poppycock. <laughs> Come on now. Come on now. Your goal is, your goal is uh, uh, $65,000. If you are 200 people, how much is $65,000 a day for 200 people? Get, get a figure in your head. Just where, where you think it is. It, it, this, it's, it's, it's a lot of money. 89 cents. 89 cents. If 200 people would reach the goal of $65,000, it's 89 cents a day for 200 people. Or $325 a year for 200 people. And Sharon and I want to be first at Centralia. We want to make it just 199 people. So we'll give the first 325. But now don't let 325 become the barrier. It's your church. I have never found that God ever, I've, I've never given anything to the Lord I ever wanted back. When the earthquake happened in Haiti, in Twin Falls, Idaho, we said, we're a little bit behind on our budget. We're not raising, we, we, we haven't been able to get everything we want to get. We're behind, but we have five complete districts in Haiti. We don't even have missionaries in Haiti, haven't had for years. We have five complete districts in Haiti. When the earthquake happened in Haiti, we just got together and said, they need it worse than we do. That Sunday morning, we sent $20,000 to Haiti. We were behind. When the year finished, I have no idea how this happened, although I do know how it happened. When the year finished and we looked at what we had in our cash accounts, we had an extra $20,000 that had come in. Generosity is its own reward. And God blesses. Your goal of $65,000 is wonderful. And Vern Ward will take it, and he will multiply it, and he will use it, and he will do good things with it. I promise you, he won't squander it. I can't, I can't say that we always do perfect with it, but I can guarantee you that it won't get siphoned off in some corner and misused. Whatever you give to Nazarene Evangelism Fund, World Evangelism Fund, will be useful for the building of the kingdom. Three years ago, we didn't send out any new missionaries because the church support had dried up because of the recession. Last year, we began, year before last, we began sending them out again. 
and we had a whole new class of missionaries go out again this year. It's a worthwhile investment. Now, I've talked too long. Tonight, Larry Myers is going to be here to talk with you, and next month, this day, next month, I will be in Benin in Africa with him. We're taking the the Jesus film, going to Burkina Faso, and then we're going to northern Benin and give some of our pastors uh, backpack Jesus film equipment, and we're going to also give them motorcycles so they can get the word out in northern Benin that there is a God who loves them deeply, and there is a God who is not counting our sins against us, but he's forgiving us in Christ, and we are therefore his ambassadors. God's making his appeal through us. Now, um, you have a couple choices. You have a little orange card, and you can go, yeah, we don't have 89 cents a day. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Or you can say, God, what would you have me do? Take the orange card out, and David's going to come and and lead you in how you can use it. It's a very, very good investment. 